A farmer's time is valuable. That's why Blaine's Farm and Fleet has made shopping for your must-haves quick and easy. Simply order online at farmandfleet.com and pick up your items in just one hour in their convenient drive-thru. Or try Farm and Fleet's same-day local delivery option. Welcome to Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor. Brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag and, of course, fishersandfarmers.org. I'm Pam Yonke. Today we're headed to Minnesota, where we're going to catch up with a group of 11 farmers that back in 2018 started to intensively plant cover crops in Minnesota's Rice Creek watershed. Today they're seeing better stream health, fish habitat, water quality, and farm profits. Some of their monitoring shows that cover crops on about 27% of the tillable acres there are keeping 9,000 pounds of nitrate and 200,000 pounds of sediment out of the creek every year, and neighbors are taking notice. We'll be visiting with one of those farmers, as well as talking with T.J. Cardis from Saddle Butte Ag. But first, let's start off by chatting with Alan Krauss. He is the Conservation Program Manager for the Cannon River Watership Partnership. He's always been focused in on soil health. After 25 years of dairying in central Wisconsin, he made the move to Minnesota, thought he started a part-time job with the Rice Creek Watershed, but it's turned into so much more. Al shared his story with me. There was a, a job advertised with this organization, the Cannon River Watershed Partnership, to help them finish out a grant that they had going with the Department of Agriculture here on cover crops, interseeding cover crops into corn. And uh, it was a part-time job, so I thought, well, I took that job and, um, you know, and then just started to really get myself acquainted with the activities uh, around this watershed and with this organization. Uh, back in Wisconsin, I did, uh, had, we had dairy cattle, we had 150 uh, head of cattle, and we did a lot of grazing. Uh, and I served on the Marathon County Board and chaired the Environmental uh, uh, Resources Committee for a while. Uh, did a lot of work with the Land Conservation and Zoning Committee for many, many years. And, um, you know, so those interests carried over here to what I was uh, involved with this new group. And, um, you know, and after finishing out that project with the Department of Agriculture and Cover Crops uh, and, and sort of looking at what the aspirations of uh, the group overall was for the Cannon River watershed, so it's a big watershed, about a million acres in size. And this particular small project here in the Rice Creek area, it's a small trout stream located just uh, west of Northfield, uh, and it's about a 4,100-acre subwatershed, drains into the Cannon River, and uh, it turns out it's Rice County's only trout stream, self-sustaining brook trout stream, nice little stream, and about 3,500 acres tillable in that watershed. And so the, I guess the idea dawned in my mind, if we're going to sort of make this bigger impact uh, in the Cannon River watershed, a much larger, you know, nearly a million acre watershed, and, and try to show people what can happen in a watershed when you get a, you know, a significant number of acres within that watershed planted with cover crops and kept in cover crops, maintained for a certain period of time, what can happen to the stream? So we put together this project in that, in that smaller Rice Creek uh, watershed and um, put out a, a, a notice to farmers and landowners in that watershed. And uh, lo and behold, about a half a dozen, well, actually about 10 people showed up at a meeting. Uh, and a couple of the people that showed up at a meeting were some of the farmers that, in talking with the folks uh, that 
uh, around the area, SWCDs and so forth, would, it said, well, you'll never get that person to come into the door and talk about cover crops uh, or reduce tillage. And some of those were the first farmers that came to the meeting, first ones through the door. So there was interest in, well, what can they do? Is there something here? And, and when we saw that sort of attendance at that first meeting, we realized, okay, well, we, we, we're going to have a project here. And we, we were able to uh, write a grant to Fishers and Farmers Partnership, uh, terrific organization working with farmers and, and small groups just like ours all over the U.S., frankly. And um, they provided some funding to help us pay farmers to plant cover crops. The Rice SWCD came on board immediately and, and utilized whatever state funding they have to help uh, you know, provide some cost share to, to farmers. And uh, that initial group um, turned out to be nine farmers. And our goal was to have about 12 to 15 farmers uh, and, a, and at least a thousand acres. Uh, so if we had a thousand acres, we were just about 30% of the watershed being planted with cover crops. And we were intending to keep that there for, for three years. So the first year out, um, a little bit of a slower start than we had hoped. But uh, the second year, we ended up with uh, 10 farmers and 940 acres. And then by the third year, there were 12 farmers and 1,050 acres in the project. Wow. Um, we're looking to continue this project, too, and expand it to neighboring watersheds. It's just really been very well you know, accepted by the growers. They're excited about it. Um, the, the, this particular stream also, I'll, I'll need probably to back up and say, has been measured uh, and had a lot of, uh, you know, area interest um, for a long time now. Being a trout stream, of course, it just sort of nat naturally gathers a lot of interest. And, and uh, a number of flooding events over the last uh, years have really caused, uh, you know, the township to sort of turn its attention to what can they do to mitigate some of the flooding concerns in that watershed, road damage and, you know, culvert damage and all of that sort of thing. And uh, planted cover crops was one of the things that was identified, uh, along with other sort of in-field practices, hard practices that could, you know, help reduce some of that, mitigate some of that flooding concerns that they were having. And, um, and so, you know, because it's been tested in the past, we've had a lot, we had a lot of sort of, background information on the stream itself, water quality-wise, that we could use to help compare the results of what was happening right now. So um, at the end of 2020, our, our three-year average showed that uh, the, the, the nitrate in the stream itself had dropped by 41% compared to the 2013 levels. Wow. And uh, yeah, uh, and so it was like uh, nearly 16 milligrams per liter in 2013, and that seemed sort of like the baseline that they were finding. And by the end of 2020, our water testing showed that the stream level was at 8.2 milligrams uh, per liter. And as you know, Pam, the, 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 the sort of the national accepted standard for milligrams for drinking water mm -hmm. for nitrate is at 10 parts per million or mm -hmm. 10 milligrams per liter. Mm -hmm. And so we got that stream down at 8.2 right now, and we've maintained cover crops uh, on just roughly 30% of the acres. Um, uh, you know, sort of increased it up to that level over the last three years and maintained it. And, and the growers have no intentions really of going back. I mean, they're, they're good. We've, in fact, we've added another hundred acres right at the end of 2020. So we'll even have more uh, in 2021 as we go forward. The project is keeping the mo momentum up and it's all, it's all because of the growers that are out there. Uh, the, the farmers, they, they're willing to try at farmers that you did, you know, as I said, <laughs> 
well, that person's never going to do it, you know, and those are that person and a few others that were that person are are planting cover crops. They're they're learning how they can use cover crops in their rotation. There's less tillage uh, happening, and so you know all of these things come together to yield the result. And for me, the result is right there in the stream. You know what's happening in the stream, uh, and the quality of the stream is improving, uh, especially on the nitrate level. Impressive numbers, to say the least. That's Al Kraus. He is the Conservation Program Manager for the Cannon River Watershed Partnership. Started out as kind of a part-time deal, and now it is full-time and his passion. But that passion is being spread to farmers all around the Rice Creek watershed. In a moment, we'll visit with one of those that's been a pioneer bringing those 11 farmers together to try to make those improvements. First, let's take a break and catch up with our friends from Saddle Butte Ag. They bring you in part fishers and farmers, neighbor to neighbor. T.J. Cardis back along with us. Well, T.J., you know these folks in the Rice Creek watershed very well, don't you? Yes, Pam. The, the great part about the group up there in Rice County is is it started out five guys that went up to seven farmers that got together, and they decided they wanted to start working with the cover crop program. They really wanted to implement it on their farms. And they started out really simple, and it's a funny little story. They, they brought seven different mixes to the airport, and the pilot says, now this is going to cost the same no matter if you bring a semi-load or each of you bring a bag for me to fly this on. So they, they realized they wanted to get more efficient. We, I met them at a meeting that next year. Uh, we got together. I started meeting with them, going up there and having a small group meeting, and it was terrific because we set a set of goals that all seven of them wanted to accomplish. They talked about bringing other people into the group, and I said, you know, that's fine, guys, but you get 10 people, everybody has 10 opinions. You get 20, 20 opinions. So they kept it in a smaller group, but because of that, they've had three spinoff groups start because of that up there. And that's outstanding because you can work with them and get a set of goals and then get mixes put together and get the situation done for them. Well, and it also represents the fact that we're in different areas with different geography, with different soil types. I mean, every one of these projects that I've had a chance to focus on with fishers and farmers has a unique set of circumstances and like you said small groups seem to be able to address that better right and that's a great point you just made pam is so in their area there's a trout stream and that's what kind of drove this boss was all of them have land that butt up to this trout stream and they're really trying to clean this trout stream up to make sure it's one of the last natural trout streams in minnesota so they really did a great job of implementing that on the farms around it. That was a special need that they had. Ten miles away from that, that's not the same need. These guys are all cattle people at one time. I know John still has cattle, but most of them have gone away from cattle, or a few of them have. So it was more of a row crop. So, But they still had the cattle in mind. So it was a great avenue that we could explore, but there was a special need in this situation, and we, we addressed it and took care of it for them. So when you work with groups like this, TJ, do you generally ask them to start small, see how it goes, and then consider growing? Or how do you kind of counsel folks that call you in? So I, I tell everybody, you know, big group meetings are terrific, but, you know, only one guy's going to ask other questions. If you get a smaller group like that, I'll go to people's houses, we'll go to their shops. A lot of times we meet out in the shop, which is a great setting, everybody's comfortable there. And we'll just sit around the table in comfortable chairs and network. And to me, that's a great starting point. And then I'll tell them, do you feel comfortable bringing more people in? And a lot of times they'll say, well, we kind of like this group here. Okay, then, then mentor another group to start a spinoff program from you guys. Because it might be six guys. So the one program that they did help start is to the east of them, and there's more vegetable production there. And so they needed a different set of circumstances after and before vegetable production and different limitations because of vegetables. And they had more irrigation. So we had more windows to work with there. So that's why I always tell everybody, if you get too big an area, too many people, 
it, it kind of muddies the waters. If you stay a little bit smaller, you can focus on what your needs are in your area. So I really love getting together with smaller groups. I think we get a lot accomplished that way. I'm not opposed to big meetings. I think they're terrific. But in the big meetings, you see these groups starting to form, and that's the ones we go and try to start working one-on-one with. Yeah, you bet. TJ Cardis along with us. He's with Saddle Butte Ag. They are partners bringing you fishers and farmers neighbor to neighbor. Remember, you can find them online, saddlebutte.com. You can also Google 360 Forage or Biotel, and you're finding the Saddle Butte lineup there. TJ, this weather has been uh, a Amazingly cooperative for all of the upper Midwest. What kinds of advice for people that are maybe thinking about undertaking a new conservation project this spring, thinking about another cover crop or trying to put their toe in the water? Can we make a move yet? Oh, absolutely, Pam. It's a great time. So what we have advised everybody is if you're if you're north of I-80 in, in Iowa, up through Wisconsin, Minnesota, we probably want to wait another week or two just to get a little more frost to the ground, get a little bit warmer. I know we talk about frost seeding, but it also can be just an early spring seeding. But there is a whole dynamic. I just got off the phone five minutes ago before you called me with a grower. He's got a late sweet corn planting up here. We're going to do a five-way mix. He's going to plant that the first week of April if we can get in there, and he's not going to plant sweet corn until the third week of June. He's got a neighbor that might want some forage. There's an opportunity there. Or if the neighbor says, no, we're just going to do a cover crop on that. We're going to do a really nice grass, legume, a little brassica mix, get his toes in the water before sweet corn. Two things. One is protects the soil. Number two, let's keep them weeds suppressed. You got something else growing, scavenge some nutrients and make it a better sweet corn crop. So we got a lot of opportunities right now. Uh, if you look up my other reps, Brian Wheeland, Ron Eltoff, Wade Culver, they're farther south. They can give you some better ideas down there. The upper Midwest, what I tell everybody is we're, we're a little early yet, but we're right on the verge. But here's what I tell you. If you need seed, let us know because we need to get trucks moving. we got trucks moving right now. Back today right now when I leave, get done with this conversation, I'm heading out in the warehouse to load out some seed. So it's starting to move. You got it, TJ. TJ Curtis along with us from Saddle Butte Egg, one of our partners here on Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor. You can find out more, saddlebutte.com, or just Google Biotill or 360 Forage. We're continuing our conversation now focused in this week on Minnesota and the Rice Creek Watershed. Rice Creek Watershed is about a seven-mile-long tributary of the Cannon River, and it's about an hour's drive south of the Twin Cities. One of the magic parts about this watershed is the interest that farmers have taken in getting involved. One of those, Tim Little. He grew up on a dairy farm near Northfield, Minnesota, and has lived in the area all of his life. He's one of the original 11 that started working on that intensive conservation cover crop project and continues today. Tim, tell me a little bit about how the magnetism of this project has brought farmers in your area together. When we started back then in, in 15, you know, I'm talking doing 60 acres, 65 acres for 15 and 16, and and we were flying it on, which we still do a lot of. We still use the plane quite a bit. But that time when we met down at the airport, you know, our Rice County had gotten several guys interested in doing cover crops. So we come down to the to the airport there in Fairville, and we've all got our different mixes, and and uh, we had no way of decent loading the plane, and it got to be kind of a cluster. We spent a lot of time at the airport those first couple of years just because we didn't have it organized and a couple of us thought you know what we should maybe form a cover crop group and and it was kind of we were thinking about it and then tj brought it up to a car tj carter's saddle be seats and uh he suggested that we have a small group and he also suggested that we keep it small you know he said 
just a handful of guys, five, seven guys, whatever. You know, because if it gets too big, you can't make decisions when you get together. And and I think he's right with that. So with our, our group of seven now, we kind of put our heads together. Oh, if we see things going on in the winter, we're shooting texts back and forth. And, and we meet about three times a summer, and we, we kind of come up with a mix that we're all going to use if we're using the plane. And so now we go down. Uh, one of the guys in the group is a seed dealer, so he's got a lot of equipment for for handling seed. And uh, a lot of well, I've got a trucking business too, so I've got grain trucks available. A couple of the other ones do too, but but we switch off who's ever able to do it. But we'll mix up a, a semi loader two of of bulk seed, and we get on to the airport. And now he comes with two planes, mm. and and we can throw on a lot of cover crops. I think the year before last, I think we did uh, twenty six hundred acres, like in a little over two days. You know, I'm intrigued to listen to how you, uh, the observations you make, Tim. You know, like you said, you're going to make some mistakes. Tell me how your perspective on observations, paying attention to your fields, has kind of evolved since 2015. I mean, you're paying very close attention to what is performing best in those cover crops and some of the soil observations you're making, too. Oh, yeah. I've I've been lucky enough early on, I got... Uh, it was kind of dumb luck. I think I just went to the right cover crop meetings, but I listened to some pretty good speakers, some pretty heavy hitters like uh, uh, Gabe Brown and Ray Archuleta, Alan Williams, um, and and they told us what to start looking for, you know. And that that uh, point that Gabe always makes is all you really need is a shovel, and it's very true. If if you compare it to what your soil is now. And you can do that on your own farm just right now. Even guys that haven't done any cover crop or anything or any no-till, take a shovel of your dirt and then go over to the fence row that hasn't been disturbed for the last 75 years and take a shovel of that and compare the two. And and you can see this, the soil structure difference. And I think it's happened so so slow over the years of our, you know, we used to have a lot of cows around here. I had that number in front of me. I forget. I think it was like 20 herds from where I live out of Northfield here, and now there isn't any, you know. And we had we had diversity back then that we don't have now. And as we've gone to the corn-soybean rotation, a lot of heavy tillage, we've totally destroyed our our soil tilth. And, and, and until you stop and look at it, you really don't even realize just how bad it is. And then compounded on top of that, we're getting all these these weather events, you know. That's just sign of the, that's just the times you know mm-hmm. and and it's a, the two put together are a really bad combination because i think we're losing way more topsoil than we realize and i know way back it was in i don't know mid 2000s when I, I was out in the field doing a terrace and and he was showing me the swirls in the dirt that conservation as i was with that day and he says you see these swirls and i in between the cornrows, and I'm like, yeah, it was just after rain, you know. And he said, that's like five ton of the acre coming down the hill. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he goes, thickness of a thickness of a dime on 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 a one square acre. The thickness of a dime is five ton of the acre. And and even now, if you look up in the T5 rule and the NRCS, five ton per acre is an acceptable soil loss. Wow. Well, I've taken in my farm career. I haven't. I think. It's like 40, 45 years. You stack up 45 dimes, that's two and a quarter inches of topsoil. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, when you start looking at stuff like that, 
It's it's not sustainable. And then the other thing that I've really noticed, I carry a heat gun with me. I bought it at Nap. I don't know, it's twenty five, thirty bucks. You just whatever you're, you just point it at something, and you get the little red dot, and it tells you how hot it is. You know, I, in my trucking, I use it for wheel bearings and Lord sure. knows whatever, whatever I'm checking. But anyhow, I got carrying it in the planter, so I'm checking soil temps, and on tilled soil in the spring to cover crop cover crop with the no-till, it's very easily easy to see 30 degrees difference in soil temperatures at noon. Mm. The, the living organisms in the soil are just like us. They're living organisms. So if, at 100, that's one of the cool parts of our group, too. One of our, our guys in that group is a soil, uh, excuse me, is a, a cheesemaker. And before that, he worked at the water treatment plant, and he he said, you know, we used to have a saying when we were at the water treatment plant. He said, life begins and ends at 40. And we're like, what the heck are you talking about? And he goes, 40 degrees Fahrenheit, everything starts to grow. 40 degrees Celsius, which is 102 degrees, everything starts to die. So you get ground that's over 100 degrees, all your biology is, is shutting down at that point. And when, it, and when it gets to that 130, 140 degrees, like I was talking it's not shut down. It's like dead. Um, weed suppression, I've noticed some difference there. Uh, another real big one in soybeans is soil-borne Ill- illnesses like uh, white mold. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we don't get the, the splash from the, you know, if you got your, your soil covered up, you just don't get the soil mm-hmm. splash. And we've noticed uh, quite a difference there. So I liked one of the phrases one of the phrases you said, if all the wealth was dollar bills in the ditch instead of soil, people'd pay a lot more attention to it. You know, you're right. <laughs> if we could if we could be that visually driven, uh yeah, you bet everybody'd be standing at your front door asking you to help them. Right, right. It's it's just I don't I wish we could put a, a dollar amount on soil erosion better than we do. It's a hard it's a moving target. It's hard to measure, you know. And I, but I know it's real because if it's not real, and why? When after you get a big rain, why are some of the road ditches? And I'm not talking creek bank erosion because it's not to the creeks yet. I'm talking green grass and the road ditches. But yeah. the water going down those green grass yeah. waterways, road ditches, is brown. Yeah. Well, it's it's topsoil leaving the field, you know. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your group dynamics, Tim, and how you guys kind of keep this going. I respect what you said about keeping the group kind of small so that you can make certain decisions. But to the same extent, you want more farmers to engage in the process, think about at least trying some of these uh, tactics on some of their acres. Well, one of the ways we've tried not to be exclusive. We've tried to get that point across. That's not why we don't want to let more guys get involved with us, but it's just to the, it's to that point that we just, we don't want to have 20 people here. And then everybody, it's hard to conduct a meeting and come up with a, with a, uh, some sort of a rate or what a decision, you know, with that many guys. So that's why we've kept it at seven. But what we do is we'll, we try to help out anybody that's interested and, and we've tried to convince them to start their own cover crop groups in, in their own right immediate area. If you've got some guys around your, your area that want to try it, you know, well then go to get a handful of guys circled up and, and you don't have to do that, but it, it, it definitely helps when you, when you're trying to answer some questions and, and you're not looking, you're, you're not 
I don't know, you don't quite have the peer pressure if you're standing there all alone, you know, because it's, it's real easy to think that everybody's laughing at you if, you know, if you got a little problem going on, but if there's a, if there's a bunch of you doing it, um, then that, it, they kind of like, well, you know, they're all doing it. Maybe this thing is, is working, you know, and, and it seems like going together in a group that way, it's, we think in our neighborhoods caught a lot of attention and, and I think it's, uh, I think it's helped us in the long run. So I don't know. It's just been a good fit for what I'm doing and the acres that I'm doing it on. So well, you've got a living lab, that's for sure. Tim Little, along with us, he is uh, in near Northfield, Minnesota, 300 acres in uh, Rice Creek and adjacent watersheds. And like he said, uh, every year learning a little something new, but not afraid to try something new. That's the other key that's helping this uh, Rice Creek watershed progress. And that's this edition of Fishers and Farmers, Neighbor to Neighbor, brought to you in part by Saddle Butte Ag. Remember, if you want to find out more about conservation projects happening around your area, go to fishersandfarmers.org. You can also find some of our archived programs with other states right there on the site as well. Until next time, I'm Pam Yonke.